What is it they say about people who can be identified by only one name? Well, if you follow the sport of ultra running, you know Jamil. A talent for running and a youth spent hiking and camping around the Arizona wilderness was the perfect recipe for today's guest, Jamil Corey, to find his passion as an ultra trail runner and founder of Aravipa Running, one of the premier event companies specializing in this sport. Years later, Aravipa now hosts around 40 races all around Arizona and into Utah and Colorado. In his spare time, not that there's much of that these days, Jamil can be seen in the lead pack at races like Barkley Marathons, UTMB, and Hard Rock 100. And to think it all started with an 800-mile solo hike on the Arizona Trail to recover from tax season as an accountant. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from the blazing desert of Phoenix, Arizona. It's December 23rd, 2020, and this is episode 24. How's it going, Jamil? It's going well. It is great to be here in the offices of Air Viper Running. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for accommodating. We're just two days before Christmas here in 2020, so hoping to see an end to all of the chaos and calamity of 2020 leave us behind here in the days to come. So we'll see if we can find a magic pill out of this year. Just happy to be towards the end of the year for sure. Indeed. Well, I'm happy to be here talking about ultra running and and all things. Uh, you know, I'm back in my kind of home state. I was born in Florida, but grew up in Phoenix here. So I'm excited to sit down here and share some trail running stories uh, in my backyard. So thanks for having me. Yeah, excited for it. Indeed. So I was... Um, you know, I've been I've been loosely. You guys started well. This will probably feel to me like uh, one of these overnight success stories that for you feels like you know uh, a decade or more of hard ass work and and building a um, a really great brand and enduring brand here in Phoenix around trail running. But growing up here, um, and I mentioned to you as I came in, was kind of like trails were for training, but roads were for running. Was or roads were for racing here in Phoenix. And, um, and it feels like Air Vipa has been a really key um, player in kind of changing that script a little bit, you know, getting people to race more on the trails and stuff. Yeah, I think there just weren't a lot of opportunities for it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, when I guess when we started Air Vipa, there was just a handful of trail running events, period, or racing on the trails wasn't really a thing too much in Arizona. Yeah. And uh, so that's something we've been able to develop over the last decade, yeah. Was that something, because I was looking at um, at your Athlinks profile, I mean, you've got a P.F. Chang's Marathon early on. We, we found your very first 5K um, ever in 2001. Were you, like, did you did did you being into trails come before Aravipa being into trails? Or what, what's been your journey on the kind of ultra running and trail running scene? Yeah, I mean, I ran track and cross country in high school, uh, went to school here in Glendale on the west okay. side of Phoenix, and... Uh, after that, going to college kind of fell away a little bit from running, maybe freshman year, but mm. then kind of got, I wasn't really fast enough to make the collegiate team or anything. So that took a little bit of a backseat. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanted to test myself and run further. So I entered, I think a half marathon on the roads, um, did like the whiskey row marathon. And then I kind of fell into the local trail running community. I think I found it through the Arizona Road Racers. Okay. You probably know them. Yep. And they had basically all, they had a, quite a few of the ultra marathons that existed at the time were under their umbrella, like across the years and Crown King. 
And then they had all of these free fun runs that people just organized. There was a number of them at the Castle Hot Springs 20 miler, for instance, was this just free run that people show up. And it's a really, it was a really tight knit, close knit community. And I fell into that crowd and a lot of them were ultra runners. And next thing you know, I'm eyeing trail runs. And, you know, I grew up in Boy Scouts too. So I'd always appreciated hiking, backpacking, getting out there. You know, I'm familiar with a bunch of the parks already and a bunch of the really amazing locations we have here in Arizona. And so it was a really easy thing for me to fall into trail running where I can cover the same areas I would normally go backpacking in, mm. but I can run it in a day or run it in a few hours and experience it. And is so is that kind of how, like did these um, five mile runs start to turn into 25 mile runs and beyond? Or what, you know, like were you, was one of the draws to trail and desert running like the, the just the distance kind of the the time in, in country, so to speak? The distance was definitely a factor for me. I loved the idea of just going far. Uh, I think one of the most pivotal trail runs for me was something called the Tonto Fun Run. Mm. It was put on by Jody Chase, someone who was in that running community. We kind of called ourselves uh, the WMRC, Wednesday Morning Running Club. <laughs> they would meet at the top of Squaw Peak Drive okay. at the time, uh, which is Piestawa Peak yep. Drive now, but they would meet at the cul-de-sac at the top, 5.15 mm-hmm. a.m. every Wednesday morning. We do a one-hour trail run. And I think when my brother and I first started going, you know, it was winter time. It was in the dark. We'd mm-hmm. have headlamps on. We'd run around the Phoenix Mountains Preserve for an hour. I felt so twisted like i didn't know where i was i was like running in a vacuum and but it was fun and the people were really nice and really cool and we did this i did this tonto fun run it was a 25 mile loop up in north of spur cross in the tonto national forest okay they don't maintain the trails up there it's really overgrown i think there was a like a thunderstorm towards the end of the run so i it was one of the hardest things i'd done and I came back, I was sore, I was all cut up from cat claw. Yeah. And I remember get, I think getting in the shower and it was like, things are bleeding and <laughs> everything hurts. And I was like, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that sold me on it. Um, and I, yeah, didn't really turn back from there. I just started, I was like, oh, well, what's the next event coming up? Right. Um, soon I found, I think across the years, which okay. was uh, you know 24 hour, 48 hour, 72 hour fixed time event. I think I saw someone's shirt at one of these trail runs and it said that on the arm sleeve. It said 24 hours, 48 <clears throat> hour, 72 hour run. It's yeah. like, what? What is that? What the heck? <laughs> like, <laughs> what are people doing? And you know, I read the, read the website and it was like instantly, I think I just signed up right yeah. away. It's like, I'm going to do that. Wow. Was there something that told you that you could do that? Like that's, I mean, the the interesting part of, of um, like everybody, you know, you have this kind of reckoning with, with a marathon when you first start running where like, okay, can I do that? You know, we all have the story about first, you know, first time you hear about a 5k and you're like, who would run three miles and all that, but going beyond that and then going into the elements, you know, like 24, can I run for 24 hours? Like, did you have any inclination or inkling that you, this is something that you could accomplish or was this a total, like, I'm just going to go just see if I can do this. It honestly, it always just felt natural and normal. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just the people I surrounded myself with, like 
to me, these were just normal people that yeah. were loved to run and they loved to run far and like all kinds of people could do it, all different ages, all different abilities. They could all go out and do this. Yeah. And I mean, the nice thing about a 24 hour is there, there is no distance you have to hit. So right. there's zero pressure. Yeah. The very first ultra I actually did was a 12 hour night run that was in advance of across the years. So it was like three months before and it was, yeah, it was totally free, 12 hours. You just go and run all night and there's literally zero pressure. I had run a marathon distance before that and my two younger brothers and I all showed up. So they were in high school still. Wow. So like they hadn't even run further than I think a half marathon and we yeah. all did 50 miles plus. You're kidding. Yeah. We just ran and walked and <clears throat> hung out with all these older folks that yeah. were doing the sport and they would give us all their advice and tell us eat and walk and then run some laps. And wow. sometimes we would just run a really fast lap out of nowhere. And then we would just walk for a while and eat snacks. And yeah. it was just fun. It was awesome. So you're in college at this point. Are you, what were you studying? Uh, account, accounting and economics, okay. um, just kind of business degree. Um, yeah. I'd always wanted to own my own business okay. growing up. That's my family. Uh, my dad, opened a grocery store right out of college. Mm. Um, I come from a line of merchant entrepreneurs. They're like Syrian refugees. So they came over and um, had to make a life for themselves and yeah. always worked for themselves, worked in the family business. And I, I wanted to follow in their footsteps. Okay. And I always wanted to be a grocer. I, I told my dad when I was younger, cause that's what he was. Right. Um, but in reality, it was just, I wanted to own my own business. Yeah, I just didn't know what that was. Okay. I had no idea. So yeah. I just, you know, gonna take business courses and kind of go through the motions of that. Yeah. And are are any of these like long middle of the night fifty milers starting to set your mind on like, wow, you know, you could make a business out of this, or is this at this point just pure fun for you just running? No, there was I never thought about that, honestly. Yeah. I just loved the sport and I just started setting goals for myself of events I wanted to do. And um, like after doing it, yeah, across the years, I just, I would look around and see like, oh, what are all like the cool local races? Like yeah. I didn't have, I, I wasn't able to travel much. You know, I didn't have like a ton of extra money to go right. fly across the country and do Leadville or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like I knew, I started learning about them right. and reading about the history of everything and what was going on. Um, so I just started doing the local events, like the man against horse 50 mile and across the years and, um, that's kind of how I started my journey. Yeah. The cool thing about Phoenix is <clears throat> like right in the middle of the city, you have like Paestua Peak, you have Camelback Mountain, you've got South Mountain, you've got, you know, the, you know, the McDowell Mountains, you have all these great desert trails that you could literally just run for 72 hours straight and, and like pop over a ridge and run for two miles to a circle K. You know, like you're, it feels like you're out in the middle of nowhere when you're down in these gullies and things, but then you just, you know, you crest on a little peak and then they're like, oh, there's downtown Phoenix, you know, a mile away from me. So it's, it's kind of cool to, um, to sort of be able to cut your teeth on these types of trails without making a big investment, like, you know, driving to Leadville, even from Denver, you know, it's a couple, couple hours out of town and that type of thing. So, um, so like, are you, as you start to do these trail runs and things, are you just kind of leaving the road behind? Like, did, did you kind of fully make that that uh, shift in your mind of like trails where it's at? I was never really that big of a road runner, honestly. Okay. I mean, I did 
cross country and things in high school. So we yeah. would run the canal paths a lot over in Glendale. And, but yeah, I wasn't, I mean, my, you can probably look on my athletes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, I didn't have like a prolific, like road racing right. career. I think I ran one half marathon before I got into ultras. Yeah. I did the whiskey row, which is half paved, half dirt. So I right. had, I actually never ran a road marathon before I got into trail and ultra running. And yeah. I, I still only have one road marathon and that's New York City, maybe five, four or five years ago. Yeah. So that was after I had run, a, you know, probably over 10 or 1200 milers. Yeah, you did the PF Chang's rock and roll half in, uh, what year is this, 2005. And then yep. immediately, yeah, you've got the um, uh, Man Against Horse and, uh, you know, the just the different uh, Castle Hot Springs and things. So, yeah, you've been, I mean, you were kind of like, you know, in a little bit of a pioneer type of stage. You know, you've got results that go back and, you know, where people are just now kind of waking up to the whole ultra craze. You've been, you've been living it for a long time here. I mean, you know, decade and a half at least. Yeah, like, yeah, 2005 was the year that we ran our first ultra. Yeah. And... I think that might have been the year that Dean Carnass's book came out, okay. Ultra Marathon Man. Yep. And I think that was the first, I kind of consider myself like pre-Dean like <laughs> era. Like yeah. I, I got to know, like I said, all these local Phoenix trail runners and they had roots all the way back to the 80s of some of these guys, which yeah. is when like Ultra Running Magazine started, which I think is another time point, like 1981, that's when this magazine that's now almost 40 years old got started. Yeah, And then the Dean, I mean, that pushed it out into the world. And I think we got, we saw a flood of people that started joining the sport after that. Yeah. And then Born to Run, of course, would be another, yep. I think, inflection point. Yeah, there's something about, um, like I've never done an ultra. I desperately want to, mine's more of a physical kind of limitation, which I think I just haven't made that mental shift yet from run, walk, you know, run, walk, run, walk, and just sort of doing the distance rather than get out of that mindset of running at a certain whatever predetermined pace type of thing. But there's just, there's so much romance to ultra running. I mean, just even like the picture of, you know, Dean Carnassus meeting up with the pizza delivery guy on the crossroads, you know, like there's just something so, so different and cool about that. Like it's, I, I definitely see the appeal. It kind of reminds me of, of skateboarding in like the mid to late seventies, you know, it's just this very counterculture thing, but it's still part of the you know, like as it gets to be mainstream or break dancing years later, things like that. It's this this kind of like so counterculture thing, but feels so natural, you know, and then it just starts to kind of overtake the rest of what is the norm, I guess you could say. So as you start to like, if you can think about things at the time, like where was your head at in 2005? Is this, cause a lot of these countercultures are sort of like, you want to keep it small. It's like this little secret that only me and my, my friends that are meeting up on Wednesday mornings know about. Is this something like you're hoping it gets bigger? Are you even thinking about the industry itself or the kind of? No, I mean, I was 20 years old. I just love doing it. And yeah, I just wanted to keep doing more of it and yeah. set bigger goals for myself. I mean, I had no grand vision of where this path would take me, you know, both athletically, personally, or professionally. Yeah. I had no clue at the time. I just knew that this was my thing and I was going to do this. And so, you know, I did as many events as I could and I did, I volunteered as much as I could. I just wanted to dive in and, yeah. and be part of this. So when you're when you're on these 
these runs because I'm I'm always you know on the ultra side of things you have a lot of different characters out there there's you know there's no secret there's a lot of addiction there's a lot of different things and people kind of pushing through their own personal demons and pain things like that so when you're out on a run it's not like okay I'm going to go run a half marathon for an hour and a half and you you know yeah you meditate a little bit on work or whatever it is but you're out here doing 12 24 hour runs like what how did you approach the training and the racing? And was this kind of like a, a sort of a, a sense of meditation for you? Like what's the bigger picture here in your life as you're, as you're approaching these things, I get the distance and the goal. That's what gets you out there. But for somebody who's never done an ultra or, you know, anywhere close to that, like give us a sense for what it's like, what do you go through on a 24 hour run, for instance, or a hundred mile or any of these? Yeah, I mean, a 100 miler is, it's even just a different level than a 50 mile or a 50K. Yeah. It really is something special. Uh, you know, I've, there are prolific 100 mile runners that run them every weekend, but, you know, I do one to two a year mm-hmm. and they're just a really special experience for me. And yeah, the amount of things, highs and lows you go through is pretty amazing. If you've never done one, yeah. it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like you can be on your last leg, just totally done at 50 miles. And then 40 miles later at mile 90, you can be flying. And just the, I don't know, the thing that happens mentally is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you, uh, you just kind of have this different mental experience that's hard to describe. Yeah. I... I imagine, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a, a dream, you know, when you, how do I want to say this, but like you're, you're on course, you've got this goal. So you enter this race with at least some confidence that, yeah, I'm going to be able to run 50 miles or hundred miles or whatever it is within a lot of time. And at some point your brain, your body, one of the two or both is going to fail you miserably, right? Or your emotion or whatever it is. How do you fight through like the marathon wall is a very real thing it's a very physical thing you can train through it there's there's you know it's and it's been done by you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of people by now but this this idea of like you're 50 miles in your i mean your body and your mind are in such distress i mean we're not really built to you know run 100 miles let's say or maybe we are i don't know but um, that that's a different philosophy there. But like, how do you, like, where do you go in a race mentally? Like just you personally, you know, Jamil, like where do you go? Like, give me an, an example of just like some place where you've just been, I'm done and then come all the way back. Yeah, I mean, for me, just maybe it's my personality. I mean, I'm, I know I'm always gonna finish that race okay. and I pretty much always have um, with a couple of rare exceptions, like the Barkley Marathons when, mm just run out of time but yeah I don't know like even at the hard rock uh in 2013 for instance um I was in the best shape of my life probably at the time and you know I was pretty convinced I was going to break 24 hours in this race which like no one's ever really done like Mm -hmm. one or two people and so running hard rock in like seventh place taking it easy through mile 30 and then I start throwing up I think I'd made a a nutritional mistake took in too much sodium and I couldn't, rec- normally you, normally in ultras when you throw up, like happens all the time, <laughs> normal thing. Um, but yeah, 
it is a thing. I mean, you throw up, you feel better, you get out what you need to get out and you trek on and you move on and, and you start to feel better. This didn't happen. It, mm. I just kept feeling worse. Every time I'd take a little bit of water, it would come right back out. And I basically had to just shut it all down. I had to shut down all nutrition, all hydration. And I'm going up Handy's Peak, which is 14,000 feet above sea level. It's the highest point on the course. You're 10 miles between aid stations, which in a, nor a normal stretch might take three three hours or something. Yeah. And I think it took me five hours for this wow. section. And I fell from, I think, seventh place to 40th place or 42nd place by the time I got into that aid station. So I'm getting passed by everyone. I'm just sitting on the side of the trail. I think I lost two hours there. Wow. I get into this aid station and I mean, I'm, I have no energy left. Barely. So you're between 30 and 40 miles. I'm at, at mile yeah. 42 at this okay. point. Yeah. And so, but I have, to, I mean, I have time on the clock. I mean, this is a 48 hour event. Right. So it's like, I could just quit and go probably back to a hotel room and sleep for eight hours and, yeah. and be fine probably. But I was like, well, I'm not gonna stop now. I'm yeah. just gonna lay down on a cot in this aid station maybe for eight hours if I have to and get back up, you know, before the cutoff. Yeah. Like they, I had plenty of time, like I said. So I did that, I laid down. Um, and then I think four hours later, I wow. I had slowly like, you know, sipping on some ginger ale, eating little tiny bits of tortilla and then mashed potatoes and other stuff. And I felt like a new man after four hours of wow. sitting there. I was of course now in a hundred and ninth place okay. and out of a race of 140 people. Right. So I was like near the back part of the event now, it's dark out, yeah. a storm system had moved across in like the four hours I was laying there. Um, but yeah, I got back up and I felt brand new and, wow. and went on to have one of the best 60 mile runs of my life, you know, just crush the whole rest of the course. So wow. It's, there's time for redemption in ultras if you have the mindset that, you know, unless the time expires, I'm not going to quit. And do you, are, are you telling yourself that? Like, I mean, so let me, let, I guess, let's go back. Like, when did you realize? Cause that's kind of a super power. I, I interviewed Anthony Famoletti, um, who's Olympic um, steeplechaser early on <clears throat> in the show. And in fifth grade, he made himself pass out on a mile run. And, you know, he's like, and he just kind of said it very matter-of-factly. And I think he kind of looked at it as a very matter-of-fact thing. And I was like, Anthony, like, most of us don't have that ability to push. We just quit before we pass out. You know, it's kind of your body, like, it just does that. And so this idea that, you know, you're, you're just like, I'm in it to finish, period, end of story. Like, is it something you're consciously telling yourself that? Is it a part of you? Is it, like, when did you realize you had this power? Uh, I guess I didn't realize it was a power, but yeah. I, I mean, it's more, I don't have it in me to quit, Yeah, is the thing. Like, I just can't, <clears throat> there's not enough reason to stop. Yeah. So I don't have to consciously think about, I'm consciously thinking about quitting, I guess, yeah. but I can't actually compel myself to do it. Yeah, yeah. Are you thinking like, okay, one foot in front of the other and one more step and <clears throat> like, is it something you're battling your mind the whole time or, or in large segments, I should say? I mean, obviously you just said like you ran 60 miles, great. And in that 60 mile segment, or even when you're running great, you're still like, I mean, you still have 60 miles to run. <laughs> you know, it's oh. not like you're, it's a hop, skip and a jump away. 
I mean, when I, I mean, first off, when I was having a terrible time, I just wanted to get to the aid station yeah. and, and that was what I was thinking about. But that 60 miles, I mean, it was honestly looking back on it, it was effortless. Wow. It was, I wasn't, I was just having the time of my life, like yeah. having so much fun. I mean, I was, I ended up passing 95 people in That's the crazy. race. And so I was just like a kid running around and because I, I still had all that training. I mean, I was running up the hills. I was just bouncing off the walls, like yeah. enjoying this, the whole thing, the whole experience. Wow. That's crazy. What does your training look like going into like a Western States? I mean, how often are you running? Are you putting together massive days? Like what's the, what's the right way to stress or is there a right way? I guess there's probably a lots of different philosophies on how to stress your body to get yourself ready for a race like that. Yeah. I mean, I like to do longer runs leading up to a hundred miler. So I might do a 50 mile race or a 50 mile run in, you know, the month leading up to an event. And I'll, and I'll, I try and structure multiple of those. Cause yeah, I mean, I even get out of shape and it, it, like when you're not trained well or not trained well recently, and you're trying to do these ultra events, it's hard. I yeah. mean, it's not like this is easy for me by any means. And like when I'm less well trained, I mean, it's a grind. You're out there, like, uh, I'm, everything hurts. And why am why am I doing this? Yeah. Why am I doing this uh, when I'm not trained? And yeah. so, how does it hit your body? Like, where where does the like where does your body break down? What's the um, kind of the process of of how it hits your body? It just depends on the event, I think. But you, I mean, you just get sore. Yeah. Muscles is it like foot? Is it joint pain? Is it knees and hips? Is it like just quads screaming? It just, I don't, it just depends, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it could be quads. It could be um, any number of things. Yeah. I mean, to go from, like I look like a, uh, at a guy like Zach Miller who just, like he looks like he sprints a hundred miler. He's just a bizarre looking guy when he's running. Like how the, you look like a linebacker, first of all. You know, he's not, I mean, you're built very differently, you know, you're long, lean kind of gazelle type runner. So in order, I'm assuming, um, I think because I, well, uh, this is, I think, confirmation bias on my part because I have such poor mechanics and sort of physiology for running. I think that's like, I, I'm so envious of somebody who can make it look effortless to go run a hundred miler, but maybe that's just all uh, show. Like, do you, what's the... Um, I mean, have you been able to run? Can anybody run a hundred miles without feeling like they're going to die? Oh yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I mean, you just said like your sixty mile felt pretty effortless. Yeah, and I've had other, I've had other really good runs like that. I think Mogion Monster one year was effortless, and I mean, yeah, I put I put together some big training blocks for those races yeah. where I'm running a hundred mile weeks for you know many weeks and you know i've had just had i've got 15 years now running right. ultras so that counts for something yeah. most definitely but yeah i mean i think putting in the miles is important when you're training for ultras it's it's key yeah are you doing any strength or anything like that or stretching like what's your kind of your full regimen i'm not good at that yeah no. <laughs> i'm very haphazard and especially lately it's like i just kind of fit stuff in wherever i can in my life just with everything going on with aravipa and trying to build different things up yeah. so i'm just kind of like right now you know i'm trying to get ready for barkley marathons right now and i'm just you know i spend an hour to an hour and a half on my incline treadmill okay. and i'm just hiking uphill at a 25 to 30 percent grade wow wow for an hour, an hour and a half at a, at a clip. Yeah. Wow. 
Are you one of these like you hold onto the top rail and lean all the way backward? No, no, you can't touch. Yeah. The, you can't touch those bars. I always want to yeah. slap people's hands at the gym. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, You're that's, ruining it. That's, that's cheating for <laughs> totally. sure. Wow, that's that's cool. Um, so, where do you? Um, I want to go back just a little bit on the mental side. So, you had mentioned um, uh, kind of offspring of Syrian refugees who you know is kind of like I'm going to make it. Um, do you do you think that that plays a role in your mental toughness? Like, is it kind of inbred into you, or or are you carrying on a tradition of of um, kind of that immigrant mindset and spirit of just accomplishment? I think there is a level of that, and I've been trying to dive more into my family history as of late, mm. just uh, learning about, you know, how they come over here, what did they do? Uh, my great grandfather, his name was Elias, and like he left, it's current day Lebanon, but back then it was Syria. Okay. And he came over, I think he married his wife and almost immediately left for the US, mm. like to find better, you know, a better opportunities. And so he came into Canada. It was too cold for him. He, but he heard about Marenzi, Arizona. It was like, oh, it's nice and sunny down there. It's like in Eastern Arizona. It's a mining, mining community. Okay. And so he, he had like another family member there and he made his way down over like stagecoach and all this stuff to, you know, this was ni 1907 wow. or something when, when he was doing this. And he, he actually, his, um, his firstborn daughter, um, like she was born after he left and came over here. Like, so he didn't meet his daughter for five years Wow, is when his wife and daughter like reunited with him and they came over on a boat through Louis New Orleans and then a stagecoach and then another way to get up there. And it's just, it's wild. Yeah. Um, and they had a, like a dry goods store. They called it dry goods store back in, they ended up in like Ray Sonora, which is outside Superior. Yeah. And there was like a fire one day, the whole town burnt down and they had to just restart again. Wow. And kind of pick up the pieces. So just, yeah, they just kept at it. It's kind of like a hundred mile race. It sounds. <laughs> yeah. Your life is a hundred mile race. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so do you, um, um, you kind of bring that in. So there's, it. you've got a sort of toughness you were born with that sort of almost genetic, it sounds like, but then it's uh, something that maybe you draw from at times where you're just like, it's, it's just not even an option to quit. I think so, yeah. I, and I don't know that that I th even thought about it, but I right. think now that I'm learning more about them, it's like, oh yeah, I can yeah. see that in me. Yeah. I mean, I get, you know, and I, I don't want to be melodramatic about it. I just think that, you know, like stories like, um, you know, that Anthony Femaletti, like kind of forcing himself to pass out, he pushed himself to that level. And, you know, it's it's gotten to be, it feels like everybody's running an ultra these days, right? But the reality, we're not, we're not all running ultras. And there is a, there is a kind of a superpower to this whole thing. And, and yes, more people are doing it and it's becoming more accessible. There's more events and there's more information about training, but, but there is something very special about being able to, to endure, I mean, literally endure a hundred mile race, um, and it used to be, you know, I'm looking at like old Leadville times and things like that. It used to be a very kind of like stagecoach type of mentality where it's, it might take us, you know, however many days to do this thing. But 
you know, whether it's Courtney Dolewalter or some of these people, like they're, the times are coming down on these races now insanely. You know, I mean, you like you look at the original Ironman times or some of the marathon times of, you know, five hours and those types of things. And now we're pushing two hours on the marathon. And the same thing is happening in ultra. Mm -hmm. So this like this idea of pushing yourself to that level. Tell me about like in a race like Barclays where there's almost like a, it's there's just such a meat grinder aspect to it where it's you'd kind of said like, oh, I'm never going to, uh, you know, I'm going to finish no matter what type of thing. But Barclays is almost meant to not let anybody finish. I mean, where where does that rank in your mind? Um like what's a race like that versus a Western States where, you know, you had this goal of, you know, going under 24 hours and you, it, it seems like a much more of a, if I could use the word more of a traditional race versus a Barclays where it's like, don't, don't die or don't get chewed up or whatever. Yeah. I mean, Barclay is a different beast. Um, but it, it's the race that attracts me more than any other. Yeah. And, um, it yeah, it is a different mindset. Uh, you know, you basically know you're not going to finish, and everyone kind of walks around with their chest puffed out. I'm going to do five loops this year, you know. Yeah. But in reality, your 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 chances are extremely low. Um, but I think that's what that's probably why I'm so attracted to it. Is like I've done, you know, some of the toughest hundreds in the world. Yeah. I've done Ronda Del Sims and UTMB and Hurt 100 and Hard Rock and all these ones and Barkley. Like I can't finish it, yeah. So that is an attraction right there. Do you? Um, that's interesting. So the fact that it is so tough, um, like how could you make it harder? You know, I mean, meaning that if if that's one of the attractive parts of of Barkley is that okay? Not that you know UTMB was easy for you. You know, I'm I'm looking at. Well, have well, you done it other than you know eight sixteen? was your most recent, did you only do it the one time? I did it the one time okay. and it was not easy because I was, I got an injury before Hard Rock that year. I ran okay. Hard Rock too and okay. I, I had to like walk slash limp through a lot of pain for 50 to 60 miles to yeah. finish that race. Okay, so let me cut off my original question. Sure. Cause that's something that like that's, um, I think for, for me is like, I'm fine running through pain if I know I'm not doing additional damage. Like, you know, and, and like pain is fine, but I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to be like shearing off a ligament or something, you know? So how do you judge like when you're, when you're laying on a cot and you're in severe medical distress, or if you're limping through 50 miles of an ultra, like, how do you, how do you judge that in your head of like, I'm doing real damage here? versus like, this is just pain that's, you know, this pain is temporary type of mentality. Uh, maybe just that damage is temporary. Um, <laughs> like our bodies will heal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, like I guess if I had a broken bone sticking out, right. that would be one thing, but I've never had something so bad that I can't get to the finish line. I mean, okay. I've had severe IT band syndrome where I've done 50 miles on it, um, all kinds of things that, I don't know, I think that maybe that mentality of like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I think I hear a lot of people, I don't want to risk permanent damage. I'm just right. going to stop like, so I can run me. I don't, I don't care about that next race. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I, I'm signed up to do this race. I'm going to finish this race. I don't care. Yeah. I like, don't care what happens to my body kind of. And yeah. maybe that's a, just, that's my mentality sometimes. And oftentimes 
it, it was just a low point for me. And that's the thing about ultras is there's highs and lows and there is pain and you got to push through that. Um, you kind of, you do, I mean, you have to be smart. You don't want to end up in the hospital, right? right. Like th there are a lot of stories. So I'm not going to like go around telling everyone to do this, follow <laughs> this advice. Yeah. Um, not your doctor, but for me, yeah, I guess just personal experience. I've, I've found the right way to push myself, um, even through pain and injury and things to, to get to the finish line. Yeah. I mean, this is partly, this is, uh, selfish on my part because like, there's no secret. I've talked about this on several of the shows. Like my goal, I'm 49 now. My goal is definitely in the, in my fifties is to start hitting some of these races. I fell in love with Leadville up there pacing. Um, and I've done the, um, heavy half a couple of times. And so, there is a, you know, I grew up in the kind of football wrestling world where, you know, like wrestling six minutes of just kill yourself is, is like my frame, my, my mindset. And so part of this is, you know, selfishly picking your brain around like, how do you, cause I, you had mentioned like IT band and that type of thing. And I love your philosophy of kind of like, well, this is the race I'm signed up for right now. So like, don't think about next race, which I think is what I tend to do is think about, well, man, what if I can't train for a month or whatever? The reality is, is what's in front of me today is this race and, um, and being able to just push through that. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a little mental note and use that one, uh, on, on my next long run where I'm, my knees or whatever hips are screaming at me. Yeah. The next race, I mean, it may not be guaranteed. I mean, I do not recommend if you know, you have some sort of, I mean, uh, there's examples of people that like, I would say the opposite of what I just said. Sure. Like, like, I think I remember someone who, they had like a stress reaction in their foot. Yeah. And then they're like, I'm gonna go run Havilene 100. Mm. And they limp out of the race and have to drop out after 40 miles. And now they have a full fracture. It's like, yeah, don't do that, you yeah. know? Um, sure. So you, you do have to kind of learn your body and know where you can push it. But yeah, for like IT band, it's like I, I tie a strap and a bandana and I I, I manage it. And, yeah. and I was able to push through and, and actually after the race, it actually kind of somehow strengthened and healed itself. I, yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but it just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I mean, the disclaimer is obviously if you're having a pulmonary edema or something like, yes, obviously yeah. get, get help. Yeah. Like you're, like you're peeing blood and things yeah. like that. It's like, no, 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 no. But I, you know, I fortunately haven't had those things happen. I think I have, I do have a, like the central governor theory is a thing that like we all have this that kind of limits us, you know? And it's like, you got to listen to that. And, you know, if I'm in a lot of pain, I usually end up slowing down and, you know, I'm, I walk more, I try and like troubleshoot. It's like, I'm constantly mm -hmm. troubleshooting when I'm out running ultras. Like, why am I feeling bad? Sometimes yeah. it's like, cause you haven't eaten or you haven't drank enough fluids or salts or whatever it is. So you kind of have to learn and experiment with that along the way. Yeah. Are you stretching on course and things like that? Are you like, are you, it's almost, uh, I was watching, I don't remember which little uh, kind of YouTube documentary about Courtney Doewalter and um, I'm going to botch this. I don't remember who was chasing her, but it was like, oh, you know, he's, he's coming in and she just like shot out of her chair and ran like just no thought or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself like, man, maybe, like you could push yourself into some mistakes, right? Where you're just like, no, I sh a minute here is not going to lose me a race like Western States or whatever race she was in on that particular day. Do you, are you pretty, um, are you running your race versus 
running against the guy chasing you or, you know, whatever else? Like, do you have a plan and you don't deviate irrespective of who's around you or do you, are you racing? If that makes sense. I know yeah. you're racing for time, but yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, I typically run my own race. Um, and there's been times when I'm, I am racing other people. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, the few times I've won a race, like when I'm in the lead, I'm, I have a pretty competitive mindset. I'm thinking about the guys behind me and yeah. are they closing in and I'm running hard. And yeah, other times I'm linking up with people um, and pushing myself um, and having fun with it. How, how much do you rely on those those other athletes on course in races like UTMB or, you know, heavily in a hundred? Like, are you... Um, uh, one of the things that I love about the ultra community is, is that it is a community, you know, is that, that when you're, um, when you encounter somebody 80 miles in and they're, you know, pooping themselves in the desert or whatever, just trying to, trying to survive, there's just, there's always somebody there to sort of help and, and pick them up. Um, have you had experiences where you've been on course and feeling like, you know, I can't move another step and somebody's been able to kind of say the right thing or do the right thing for you. Yeah, I mean, I think a great part of the sport is the camaraderie uh, between it. And I mean, there's a lot of instances of just even having pacers that help to push you along. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like a specific instance. I'm not sure that I have one, yeah. but there's probably just countless times of either helping to push someone else along. People are always yeah. checking up on one another, which is just a great thing. Yeah. Do you have a go-to team that you like to kind of take with you on these runs and, and um, like, you know, they just know you and know how to push you? Uh, I'm notoriously terrible for assembling a good team when it comes <laughs> to this stuff because I don't, I don't want to burden other people or ask anyone for anything. So, yeah, I will have a crew for sure, but it's usually not... Like Courtney, I, I'm a bit envious because she has such a dream team of yeah. of people, and they're always supporting each other. Um, but yeah, I kind of I roll solo a lot of times. I'll yeah. do I'll do races, just go out and do it. And wow, yeah. Do you have people who are just meeting you out on course, giving you nutrition and stuff, or are you just taking nutrition from course? It just depends on the race. I mean, I've done a lot of races with a crew, so they'll be meeting me. And yeah. but I've also done races where I'm just using my drop bags and whatever's on course at the aid station. That's kind of a fun way to do it too. You're just you feel kind of free. You're just yeah. like just out here. I'm just using the resources that are given to me and yeah. it's seeing a, what happens. It's a funny thing because I've seen this a few times at Leadville, um, certainly on the run where people are really shitty to their like the people that are supporting them, you know, and, and in some ways it might be easier just to either, you know, like pick a kind of a stranger um, to pace or just like, yeah, rely on sort of on course and your drop bags and stuff like that. Cause it, it, there's like a, there's a whole emotional component there. Like it, whether it's a parent or a spouse or something. And, you know, it's like, I've, I've heard some, <laughs> some really bad things on course before in those types of situations where you're like, wow, that is, that's like a year's worth of frustration that just came out on that person. Yeah, I think it can amplify maybe the dynamics of a relationship out there. For sure, yeah. So as you're, as you're doing these races and, and um, falling in love with this, I'm, I'm astounded first off at how much you're still able to race knowing the time commitment and, and building this business over the years. Like congratulations on not succumbing to um, 
uh, I don't know what I'll call it, but like, uh, I mean, I, we, we always laugh. We'll look at people's athletes profile and you can see when they get into the industry, like they get this dream job and no, oh, now I can race and make it part. And then they stop racing immediately. So, um, I guess two things is, is one is when do you, when do you, as you're doing these races, as you're thinking about your entrepreneurial roots, as you're thinking about starting a business to these two worlds converge and what does that look like? And then two is I'd love to know culturally on Aravipa, like how you've maintained a culture, um, of racing. You know, again, we interviewed Ted Kennedy, um, who introduced Ironman North America. In, and that was one of the things that he, um, they really did. Like they did all of their big brainstorming sessions were like long rides and runs at lunch and things like that. So how have you been able to build? So again, two questions. One is, is when does Aravipa become something that you're chasing? I'd love to know about the name as well. And then how have you maintained culturally as part of the business, your ability to continue racing? Yeah. Uh, well, out of college, I mentioned I I graduated with dual degrees in accounting and economics, and then took a tax accounting position mm. for uh, kind of the first year out of college. And but I had on the back end of that, I had I told them I'm going to hike the Arizona Trail mm. when tax season's over. So I think it was the you know April 17th, so like the okay. day after tax season was over. Tax accounting is kind of like the ultra running of the business world, by the way. Yeah, exactly. You have this, yeah, kind of getting to that finish line. But because yeah. a lot of people will take time off anyways after yeah. that because they're working crazy hours leading up to it. And so I was on the Mexico border and setting off on an 800-mile solo backpack. Uh, I had people join me here and there. Yeah. Uh, my dad was with me the first two days and the last three days, which was awesome, and had wow. some friends meet up. But this was in 2008, so I'd run a few ultras. I'd okay. run my first 100-miler at Angeles Crest by then and, yeah, went, set off on this hike. It was kind of my vision at the end of my time working and finished this hike in 31 days, and uh, I never went back to my job. Wow. I was like, it, I think, I mean, it, it did change me for sure in some way. I think I was already... You know, the ultra running had already kind of shifted me towards like, I don't want this corporate finance path yeah. of something that I probably could have had yeah. just through my connections in college and everything. And I was like, this solidified it for me yeah. that I I really want to kind of live life on my own terms. Yeah. And so I just, the same period of time, I actually had inherited the Havelina hundred. So the it's like kind of a long story, but the uh, the very first ultra I did that twelve hour and across the years yeah. it was hosted at Nardini Manor, which is this wedding venue in Buckeye. Okay, and it's owned by Roger Rublick, and he was an ultra runner and a hard rocker, and um, he had bought a hotel in Silverton, Colorado, and so that was kind of my tie in to hard rock and, mm, and heading okay. up that way. He's like invited me and my brother to come up, and so he was putting on the Havelina 100. He had taken it over because okay. the previous race director was after three years was like, uh, you know, a lot of the ultras are little side projects for people. Yeah, it's sure. not their full-time job. And so, yeah, he, I was volunteering at across the years every year. Like I would run one day and then I would volunteer for the other three or four days, mm -hmm. set up and break down and webcast and like whatever he needed, I was just there to help. 
And same with Havelina. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't come back down from Colorado. I'm running a hotel. I can't put this race on. Uh, he knew that I was interested in organizing events or okay. like I had kind of just thrown some ideas. I was like, oh, it'd be cool to do a, a run over here. And we just went back and forth. And he he's like, well, why don't you take over the event? Wow. Um, so I was like 20, how old was I? 21 or 22 years old. And I was taking over this 100 miler. Wow. I mean, it was smaller then. It was 150 yeah. people running five loops or yeah. six loops in the desert, whatever it was. Great and name though, great brand, great, you know. Yeah, at the time it was like five years old and it was kind of funky and yeah. it was fun. And so I devoted myself, after I hiked the Arizona Trail, I turned my full attention to organizing the Havilene 100 okay. in 2008. And so I treated that like it was my graduate school. I was playing around with the idea of going back and getting my master's in taxation and becoming a CPA. That's what I told everyone when they asked, what do you want to do? Sure. Like, where are you going? What's the direction of your life? Which I didn't really have one. Yeah. And so my direction turned to, okay, this is a master class in entrepreneurship on yeah. my own terms. I'm not, I'm learning from Roger. He's kind of my mentor here. I'm just looking and seeing what people are doing. You know, I'm looking at photos from the first year of the race that were online and yeah. I'm taking notes and I'm going to other races and making mental notes of what are they doing, you know, what things work, what doesn't work, what do I like? And so I put on the Havilene 100 with the help of my family, borrowing equipment from my Boy Scout troop and wow. whatever else was required to make it happen. And was your, was your, like you'd mentioned that your brothers were runners, was your, were your parents or, or like, were they supportive of, did they understand this at all? Like, did they understand that you could build a business around running and things? I mean, they were, so they're always supportive okay. of kind of whatever their kids want to do essentially. Yeah. And they jump in and just help in cool. whatever way they can do. So yeah, they were always supportive. Okay. And even like that, putting on the Havilene 100, it, it wasn't really a business idea. I didn't even really know what was happening. I just knew I wanted to put it on and make it the best I could. Got it. And, you know, we ended up donating all the money back to the park. That's what they always did. Like okay. any, any profits from the race would just go to the park. They Got would it. just write a check at the end of the day. Um, so I don't even think I paid myself. I just wow. wrote the check and I was like, cool. We yeah. did like $5,000 or whatever for the park. And we were, um, yeah, we inherited like the, some of the equipment from the event. Like it had a few assets, like a, you know, a couple containers and right. water jugs and <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> it's like, it's really funny. The empire some, begins. Some uh, like Halloween decorations. Cause yeah. it's a, they theme it as like a Halloween party. And so, yeah, we, um, we just kind of bootstrapped it all. And so then I think I was just traveling around and whatever I was doing in 2009, probably running a bunch of ultra races and stuff. And it was like summer of 2009. I was up in Colorado. I either had just run Hard Rock or I was about to. Okay. And I was running out of money. And so, you know, just like around the lunch table with my family at like one of the restaurants and I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I kind of need to go, maybe go back to school. Um, but maybe, like maybe I can start putting on some more trail running races because there's not many in Arizona. And the ones that are there seem to be dying. Like, yeah. you know, the Havilene 100 and this, you know, I think there was another race, like Zane Gray had changed hands because it was too much for someone who was like a full-time computer programmer or something. And 
there was all these regional parks in Phoenix. I was like, oh, I could do, there's not a trail running event at White Tanks or, well, there was one, but it was short. It was like a seven mile. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna create a series of trail runs. And that's kind of how it started. Wow, wow. And was and as a as a like kind of a supplement, were you thinking at the time like you know it'll just kind of pay for my racing type of thing, or were you thinking about like at what point um, in that in the organization of those trail runs were you thinking like this can be something that you know is a you know a fifty year business kind of thing? So I had heard about. Well, I, I met people that it, they were professional race directors. Okay. So Wendell, Sarah and Wendell Doman in California, Pacific Pacific Coast Trail Runs, okay. um, they were like in the Bay Area and they would run across the years every year. And so they had, they had become full-time where they were putting on, you know, a whole calendar of events. So I could kind of like browse their website and see what they were doing. It's like, okay, like there's a, something there. And then there was... Joe and Joyce Prusitis in Texas for Tejas Trails. So they were also doing the same thing. And that was kind of a model for me where I was like, these guys, they're making a living doing this. So I can probably do that here in Arizona. Yeah. Um, and that was really it. I wasn't thinking about a 50 year business. I was right. just thinking about, um, I was also thinking about the fact that all these Wednesday morning trail runners in this club that had been running for 20 years had never set foot in Santan Mountain Regional Park. Yeah. And it's like, well, this park is here and there's these awesome trails. If we put an event on here and I designed it and put on a good experience, it would expose people to this park, which could be good for the park and it would be enjoyable for the runners. And so that was kind of the thing that guided me was that was kind of our mission. It was, yeah. we're going to expose people and bring events to these other areas yeah. and for the betterment of everyone involved, for the runners, for the parks, brings money to the parks, and that was it. Yeah. True passion project, right? Yeah. And so do you, um, as you do races like Barkley and as you do, you know, like as you're putting these races on and you're, cause there's gotta be a balance between um, like, as you said, like Barkley, the, the allure there is that it is crazy. Like it's, it's unfinishable in some ways. Like, how do you, um, how do you think about when you're designing out courses and things? Like, how do you make it hard enough, not too hard? Um, do you just want a couple of races that are just crazy hard and then some that are super accessible, you know, like here's your crawl, walk and run level races, or how do you think about when you're designing courses? Yeah, I think we always used to joke like the types of races I like to participate in are the complete opposite of the Era Viper races that we put on <laughs> because an Era Viper race, we want to make it like the, you know, the best seamless experience for you. So it's like immaculately marked. We're putting wrong ways across all these trails you're not supposed to go on, you know, kind of almost hand holding you through yeah. the whole experience from the aid stations are like just overflowing with all kinds of great food and, and, you know, awesome finisher awards and all this stuff. And, you know, I prefer to be out at Barkley with like no aid, no course markings, you know, like yeah. basically you, no one's doing anything for you and it's just all on you and you're completely responsible for yourself getting in and out of the wilderness. 
Why is that? Why do you, why do you, why do you not like what, why the disconnect between the two experiences do you think? Um, is it just marketability of, of, yeah. I mean, like I, I like, I like putting on a production. I, you know, I think that's something that sets us apart is we're not just about, you know, throwing up a chalk line yeah. and like, I want to give people a, a really great value if mm -hmm. they're going to be giving us their money. Yeah. So we want to give them the most value possible. So that's, you know, and it feels awful when some, it feels awful to me when someone gets off course, Yeah. even if it's their own damn fault, so right. to speak. And like, they should have better prepared themselves. I still have sympathy for them and I still want them to, like if I can prevent that for them, yeah. I'm gonna do what I can, which is funny because I, you know, I don't want that for myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, at the end of the day, one is, is uh, I guess, kind of, um, you know, in how you experience races and, and your level of skill and all of that, and obviously you're damn good at it, but uh, there is difference when you're saying, okay, we're going to take these chances and you have employees and you've got a building and you've got, you know, uh, you're putting food on lots of different people's tables and things like that. So, I mean, with that being said, we, we do now have some pretty epic and tough courses and I definitely like that. Yeah. Which is your, like, uh, what, what is your hardest, uh, like what? Give me. Uh, Tusher's Mountain Run is probably the toughest one that we okay. have. Where's that? It's in Utah near Beaver. Okay. Eagle nice. Eagle Point Ski Resort. Yeah. When did you When did you start branching out of Arizona? What was that decision? It all had to do with my connection with Roger okay. in Colorado. So I started going up there. I'd camp in his. He was renting a house next to his hotel, and we. Me and my brother went up to camp in the backyard mm. for Hard Rock in 2007. It's my first time up there. We just went for the Camp Hard Rock experience. Okay. We didn't even stay for the race. We just went up there and uh, they do they do like a week and a half of course marking. And so there's all the original Hard Rock guys. You hop in trucks and you drive out and you spend all day on the trails and yeah. they share stories and then you do trail work and everyone just kind of hangs out in Silverton for the two weeks before the race. Um, so I invariably started just spending more and more time. It was one week that first year. And then my brother got into the race next year. So we, I think we spent two or three weeks and then I got in the year after that. And so I think a week turned into a month and sometimes I would spend two months up there yeah. just camping out of my truck, you know, sometimes renting a whole house, just staying there. Yeah. And I would help Roger who, you know, he's a big time runner. He's a big time hard rocker. And the, the, you know, it's the same story. Like the, the local race in town, like the Kendall mountain run is like put on by someone who kind of likes running and jogging in town, but they're not <laughs> super hardcore. Right. Um, they want to keep this race alive for the town. It's like a 35 year old race. And he ends up inheriting that one and kind of has to keep putting it on. So I just go and help him and assist. And then we brought back a race that had died like, the person who put it on had to move away suddenly from town. So the Silverton Alpine Marathon, we brought that back and I would just keep helping him. Like yeah. just the same kind of thing. I loved giving back and keeping these events alive. And so we ended up eventually, you know, we did take over those races and we put those on now. Um, so that was kind of our, that's really, we, we really haven't expanded much. We've just had the Silverton yeah. couple of races. And then we also inherited the Utah race, um, as well. Got it. 
one of my favorite um, times of the year and races of the year is New York City Marathon. It's a chrono track timed event, and there's about 30 chrono track timers who then go to New York to time split. So you have the the comedy is you have like some of the best timers in the world who are just like manning mile 14 split with a flashpoint and a gator out there, you know. So it's it's just always funny, but um but like that sense of community in our space where you have these, again, like 30 timers who go and flock to New York or in this case, you know, go up to Colorado and do hard rock. And like, you know, they're helping different runners and different race directors all coming together to do these epic races. Um, so getting back to that style of question, like how do you, how have you structured your business, your life around being able to run this business where you guys are, you know, you've got a ton of races going on you've been able to continue racing at a very high level um, and a, frankly at a high volume as well. You know, I mean, you're, you're clocking, it looks like, um, you know, 10 races at least a year. I mean, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, about 10, 12 races a year, it looks like. So like, how have you maintained that? And have you, is that something like that was in the philosophy of Arab Vipo as you started it to say, this is, these are the things that I'm going to like, they're just, they're, they're non-negotiables. Like I have to be able to continue to race. I want my, you know, like th this is the business, like how conscious I guess were you in starting that and baking that into your business? I, I think it was very unconscious. Okay. It was just something that we did. Like we, I mean, I truly love the sport and like even back that Tonto fun run. I mean, it's still true yeah. today. Like I still love the sport as much as I did then. And I love this, you know, I love running ultras. I'm going to do it as long as I can. Okay. And so it's always been a piece of it. And I mean, I would, I would say I, I have taken a hit personally from the growth of the company. And that does overshadow my running, even though I have, you know, whatever, eight to 10 results on there. Like my performances, I think have definitely dropped off mm. from where they could be. Got it. Um, like I look at my brother who he left our business. Um, oh man, I don't even know what year he left five, six years ago. Um, so he has a more traditional job now um, working in computer software, but he's been able to, I think have a better balance of mm. he's able to kind of walk away from his job. Kind of nine to the, five. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then devote himself to his training. Whereas, you know, mine, mine never leaves me as yeah. a, as like a founder CEO. So, but, um, yeah, I think part of the trick is I'll jump into our own races. So probably do anywhere from maybe two to four of our own events a year. And that makes it really easy. I think to keep it going. Got it. Um, and I, I want to run all of our races. Like, I think that's a good sign sure. when I'm excited about them. And as we keep developing and changing, and improving our events. Like, you know, we added a 50 miler to Elephant Mountain, which is a trail race we have in Cave Creek this year. And it includes that Tonto Fun Run loop that yeah. I ran so many years ago. Yeah. And it's like, we incorporated it into a 50 mile race. And it's like just one of the most mind blowingly awesome 50 mile races out there, in my opinion. And I just had such a fun time being out there. And I wanted to do it the very first year. You know, we, there were just 14 of us because we launched it. Yeah, just a short time before it happened, but it was just important for me to be out there and to experience it. And I think it helps us because, you know, to have me out there on the ground, not only is it cool because the runners, I think, appreciate seeing me out there. Yeah, but it's just it is truly 
what I love to do. And as far as like our company culture, I mean, we are an organization of ultra runners and trail runners. Everyone who's here participates. That's why they want to come work here because I mean, yeah, you get some free race entries too, which doesn't <laughs> hurt, but like everyone legitimately loves being at these events and, yeah. and that's how we find our people. Yeah. I was Lindsay and Chris Sachs. Um, I think they were on episode two or three, but Lindsay had done, they've both, he's done, I think he's done the hundred, uh, the, um, Leadville hundred run. He's definitely done the bike several times. She's done the run, I think three, I think three times in DNF. And then she came down and did the, the Heveline hundred right after her last DNF and, 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 and completed it. And she was just kind of glowing after the fact about the race. And the, so that's, um, you had always been on my radar, but the, that was kind of, she was really, some of the things that she said about the race and just how it was put on and the, there's just a very, um, races can just, uh, you know, without, without like the personality, like a race can have a personality. And that's one thing that I've heard about the Air Vipa races is that there is a definite soul to the races. And, um, so I, you know, I wanted to come down and again, you're in my, my, uh, I think Arizona will always be home to me, but, uh, so I definitely wanted to come and, and sit down and talk to you about this stuff. So what's on, what's next on your calendar for you personally? Uh, next up is Barkley. Barkley. Yeah. Okay, what, what month is that? It's right around April fools every okay. year. Yeah. Coincidentally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like it. How has, um, how has, uh, 2020 affected you guys? It 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 affected us a lot. I yeah. mean, in March we were gearing up for our busy season, or in the midst of our busy season, and yeah, like everyone else, I mean, I don't need to recap the whole story of the yeah. year. We all know it. We yeah. all lived it. But um, we had to shut down our in person races for four months, okay. and so we yeah we had to do. I mean, the, it's a buzzword now, but we did a hard pivot and. Um, yeah, we essentially had to abandon our races. We had to, you know, figure out how to take care of our customers and um, make them as happy as they can with all these canceled races. Yeah. So it was a lot of frantic rescheduling to the fall, which I think you saw a lot of people doing. Um, we've since seen, you know, all those big marathons that rescheduled are already pushing out yeah. another year and. We did that, and then we also launched a bunch of virtual events, and those were really successful for us and helped to give us some time and some breathing room. I mean, we weren't breathing much because we were working yeah. insane hours to turn this around and do something we had never done before. Yeah, And um, then we were also starting to work on our plan to submit to government agencies and, and landowners and permit holders who to try and get our races back on and yeah. and just navigate the landscape of how do we do this safely where we feel good about it and yeah. the runners that show up are gonna feel good about it in, in the broader landscape of what's going on in the world right now. So we were able to do that and yeah, we had our first race back. It was in Colorado in July, it was Kendall Mountain. Okay. And then we've basically more or less been able to hold races since then all the way through to the end of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had, um, Justin and Denise Ricks, do you know them from uh, Mad Moose? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And they, they've had some, uh, they've had some success putting on races in the, in the, in the recent months. Are you thinking about racing differently now? Like, have you looked at, um, like is your, is your desire, 
um, like in a perfect world for you. Obviously, you don't control, none of us do um, all of these things, but would you like to see racing come back exactly as it as it was? Do you have some ideas for how, you know, these things, um, like when you shake, you know, an entire industry, you know, down to its foundation, like there are ways that we could rebuild this and introduce new things. Um, have you thought about that and like things that maybe as you come back, format changes or just different things that you'd like to see or were you um, perfectly happy with the way things were before it it's definitely going to shake it's going to shake up some of our events permanently like mm -hmm. some of the things that we've been forced to do are going to stay um, but mostly i think we all want to get back to how it was and yeah. i think that is i think that is the best way overall like i think the community the energy the concentration of all that is what makes these events special so yeah, having like right now we have to do little tiny starts and we have to kind of usher people out and limit spectators and things like this. So like in terms of that, I, I do want to see that come back. Like yeah. I would love like the energy you get from a hundred people going off, but kind of the benefit right now is like you do get less crowded trails at yeah. any given time. So there's less, less people. Um, I mean, some of our races have gotten quite large now, so it is kind of a throwback to yeah quieter times and that, yeah. it is kind of nice to see that yeah it's interesting because you know ultras and trail running <clears throat> you guys have been <clears throat> you guys have been the innovators so it's kind of you know interesting to, that's why i asked the question is 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 unlike a typical road race where you're so locked into this is the course that we can have it and you know you really can't deviate because you can't close these roads or whatever you know in a lot of cases trails and ultras like you just have a lot more freedom and flexibility it is a very different feel um, in a trail ultra than it is on a road you know marathon even or whatever so i don't know how much more room there is to uh to innovate in that area but but again it's it's kind of fun to think about like making those changes it's yeah it's mostly minor changes little things like i don't know Havilene 100 this year we normally do a washing machine style so it's back and forth back and forth and they originally did that because it would increase the social aspect of it and yeah. it feels more like a party because it feels like there's more people out there than there really are and we had to switch to just a single loop to cut down the passing but it turns out i think people prefer that because it gets just because now there's 10 times the number of people that there were mm -hmm. when i took over the race yeah it got crowded and i think it it actually made for a it's going to make for probably a better experience to keep yeah. that, where it just keep the flow going. Um, maybe another example is we've been having at our staging area like a separate start and finish line now. Normally, we just have one archway. And it's like you start all the races under it, people finish under it. Yeah. And sometimes you have looped races, so people are like running through as people are lining up, and it gets kind of weird and wonky. Yeah. And it's like we might keep that where we have a separate start corral you know, we're doing temperature checks over here and all these things that, you know, at some point will go away, but yeah. we might have everyone line up and start and then everyone finish in this separate location. Yeah. It's, but it's minor tweaks. I don't think yeah. it's, it's stuff that will uh, drastically change. Yeah. No fundamental. I don't yeah. think so. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think of like, um, uh, I think you guys, we were talking off air about how unpaved did it where, um, big gravel race and then they basically just had three time segments in the middle of a 120 mile um race and as as things come back and i think 
there's no secret. I mean, Ultra has been growing like crazy, and I think I think this is going to be a big catalyst to get people into smaller races and you know more sort of open air type of situations. But to be able to combine some of those formats of whether it's like an enduro style where you're just going to have certain time segments, or it's kind of a a Barkley type feel in addition to what you know the normal Havilland hundred, where it's like, hey, like, I'm just trying to do my hundred mile race, but then you have this sort of race within a race and things like that. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we balance novelty versus, you know, safety versus all of the other things. Cause again, you know, ultras, it has been the innovator for the last, you know, 10 or so years, really well, longer than that, but sort of, um, in the mainstream. Yeah. I think, I mean, who knows what's around the corner? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully God, hopefully nothing, hopefully there are no bad surprises around the corner. We've had our share of those in 2020 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd said something earlier um, about uh, like how you, um, it was when you were talking about starting the race and, you know, doing these hundreds and kind of the, um, you had done your 800 miles on the, on the hike and things like that. And I suspect it's difficult to be an ultra runner um, and do that level of training and, isolation has sort of a negative connotation. I don't mean it negative at all. It's sort of like this meditative isolation in a way where I suspect it's almost impossible to live like a normal life in the best possible way. Meaning like it's tough to just, it's tough to come off an 800 mile hike and just go back to the mundane, like sit at, you know, be a tax accountant or, or something and just sit down there. Like, is that, um, is that something that, as you talk to people about like the joy of ultra running and as, as you've talked to people, whether it's at a cocktail party or something else, you know, and, the, and I'm sure when you tell your story, people are just absolutely fascinated at like a cocktail party of like, holy shit, like you do what, you know, um, is that something that you consciously feel like you've been drawn to over the years of, of like that kind of deep meditative aspect of, of ultra running and, and how that has affected your journey from tax accounting to starting, you know, this great iconic kind of, uh, you know, emerging brand and ultras. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think the tax accounting thing was just a blip of like, I didn't really know where I was headed at the time. Yeah. Um, so I just did it to, you know, it's a noble profession. I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it, you know, I well, mean, it's yeah. fine. No, it's funny. It's funny. Cause I actually do love like taxes and bookkeeping like <laughs> a lot, <laughs> like way more than maybe people would, ex- would suspect, but like my favorite class in high school was like bookkeeping one or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was the it was the the accounting of a small business. We had yeah. all little receipt fake <clears throat> receipts and we had to do the whole general ledger and things. But um uh yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of I think I've always just tried to follow my passions and le- let that lead me wherever it goes. Got it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're sort of eyeing uh, over the horizon, uh, the finish line here. We do this little 10-question dash. You want to answer some questions and sure. have a little fun here? All yeah. right. 
Uh, only honest answers apply here, so no, no lying. I'll know if you're lying. Okay. All right. So well, th these are easy. They're pretty painless. But uh, all right. So what is your what is your gear looking like? What are you running shoes and things like that? Do you do you yeah. stick to certain brands? Yeah. I mean, I'm sponsored by Solomon, okay. so I'm I'm wearing Solomon stuff. I love the Ultra Pro. That's my go-to shoe. Okay. Very good. I'd like some Solomon running shoes myself. Uh, next race you said is Barkley, so it's a run. So that was one of my questions. But um, what's your favorite sports book or movie or podcast or anything like that like what's your go-to on the sports side oh man uh god i don't know that i have something <laughs> no, okay all right well do i get like a thumbs down or something no, <laughs> like, well, we do have yeah we have the, <laughs> we have the uh the cowbell there um okay so your favorite race Barkley marathons. Barkley marathons. Okay. Um, it's funny. Like you've done so many great iconic races. The next question is what's your bucket list race? What's a race you haven't done that you want to do? Uh, Cocodona 250. Cocodona. Tell us about that one. Where's that? That's one that we're launching here in Arizona in oh, 2021. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, home stretch song or band on your playlist. Do you, do you listen to music while you run? Uh, no, not really. No, not really. Okay, no. fine. Uh, well, your, the next question was, what's your most embarrassing song on your playlist? So we'll just skip that one altogether. Oh, it's probably like something by Lil Peep. Lil Peep. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what's your pre-race ritual or superstition? Do you have any of those? Uh, man, pre-race ritual. Um, probably just get a good cup of coffee in. Very good. All right. Very good. Uh, everybody's got like a food one. I, I think I've, there's been one, I think it was Anthony Femaletti has like 150 different kind of like, you know, like rituals. Yeah. Like baseball <laughs> player, you know, like don't, don't step on the chalk line types of things. All <laughs> very, very specific. Uh, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run with? Um, I would like to do, I would say Ted Corbett. Ted Corbett. Yeah. Okay. He's a really famous ultra runner that passed away. Okay. Ago. All right. Very good. Uh, final question, Jamil. What is the secret? The secret is follow your passion. Perfect. Well said. <laughs> I don't know. Sweet and simple. Oh, it's great. Yeah. They, they don't, you know, it doesn't have to be a dissertation, so it's all good. It's all good. Well, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for sitting down with me, and this has been a fun. I mean, part of these are uh, a little bit selfish on my part, just kind of learning more about the you know, whether it's the ultra stuff or gravel racing or things like that, I think there's uh, I think there's a definite desire to go off-road, obviously, as we've seen over the last 10 years or so. And there's a lot of people that are listening that maybe don't know how to take that first step out. So we don't all have to do, you know, Hard Rock 100 or UTMB or Barkley, but um, there's definitely um, a lot of places that you can start. Um, if you had some advice for somebody who's kind of get, looking at getting off the road and into the trails, like same rules apply or, or is there a different, is there a different mindset or approach or, or things that you would uh, recommend people look at? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to walk or hike when you're out there. Yeah. Like it's not about your time. It's about the journey along the way. And I, if you're looking just to get started, I mean, the great thing is there's so many events across the country now in all these beautiful places. Pick a place that you want to travel to, find an event there and put it on your, just sign up, put it on your list and use that as motivation. Yeah, I love that. I love that advice too about just the, it, it is such a different mindset and just to kind of put down the, like the PR side of, of like running, it's, it's really more about the experience. And I think, um, 
uh, I kind of accidentally pasted Leadville 100 and it became my favorite all-time sporting moment of my entire life. You know, walking with a guy through the forest for 15 miles at two o'clock in the morning. Just crazy. I yeah. know, you know, there, there's no reason I should have loved it as much as I did. And it just has stuck with me. So um, I would add that as a recommendation for people who want to start getting an experience in this is volunteer to race volunteer to pace somebody. Um, even if you don't know anybody doing it, you can reach out to any event organizer and just say, hey, look, I'm looking to pace somebody. Um, hook me up with someone. And there's all sorts of runners looking for someone just to... Or just show up. Show yeah. up with a little sign and say, I will pace you. There's always people looking for someone to pace them at mile 80 in a 100-mile race or mile 60. Um, it, it always happens. Just, yeah, reach out to the race director, ask for permission to come out show up you'll meet someone new and you'll really get to know them out there cool and if you're if you're looking to do a, a vacation in arizona definitely look at uh, aravipa's um website find a race uh for your upcoming calendar register for that race support them um it's a great company great brand great uh great supporters of the arizona trail running community so definitely support them back thanks so much yeah indeed thanks for thanks for coming on you bet great meeting you all right, that is the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission at Athlinks. Thanks again to Jamil Corey of Era Vipa Running. Please check them out at Era Vipa, that is A-R-A-V-A-I-P-A running.com. Check out their races. Again, if you want to do a, a great vacation run in Arizona, they are the uh, they are the company to go to. So the best way to support this podcast is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it uh, with anyone you think would enjoy it. Email, text, Twitter, Facebook, you get it. And please take three minutes to just give us a quick rating and a review on iTunes. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post for episode 24 with a picture of Jamil. If you have any comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or just shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Again, share it with friends far and wide to help spread the word. And until next time, happy racing, everybody.